What's up, winners? I'm Sylvia Chagla, and over a decade or even longer, I have been obsessed with everything around people, around how to develop, how to turn ideas into reality, and this is all based on change and transformation, especially in this digital world. I have been learning, studying, and applying. I was one of the youngest HR consultants for an executive and was leading change projects within the biggest telecommunication merger in Europe. And I am today combining and blending Eastern and Western knowledge in order to help you to change the way the world works so we can all have more efficiency, productivity and engagement and actually transform and change successfully. I have been doing this for ages and ages by myself from almost homeless into a successful corporate high flyer and today an excited and passionate entrepreneur supporting leaders and entrepreneurs like you within startups, Smith and Fortune 500 companies to create and make the difference they actually crave for. So don't expect any conventional HR and kind of those topics around this, but of course everything what is combined from Speed Smart and Book Smart and many, many other things here on this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am excited to go with you on this journey and win X today. Hello, hello, and welcome. Yes, I'm so super excited to have here Alex with me. Alex is a dear friend of mine and, of course, a badass entrepreneur and business leader. And I'm super excited to have him here today. He is super busy. And the two of us ended by accident right now in Berlin. <laughs> but we are in two different locations. So before we will dive into the topic, Alex, would you be so kind and introduce yourself briefly to those who don't know you? Sure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. It's a, it's a real honor. It's so much fun always to talk with you. We've had so many encounters in, I don't even know, we, we need to count how many countries we've been in together, doing crazy stuff, trips, whatever. And um, it's always your energy, your, the questions you ask. I'm excited and I'm excited for this call. Um, about myself, uh, long journey off. I guess it started, um, I have a few starting points for conversations like this. I had a pretty troubled childhood and coming out, I feel has really put me in a position of, or in a skill set of dealing more with what you require as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, and as a person that needs to navigate in today's world that is not structured, easy to predict anymore. So in a way, some of the past experiences that weren't so nice uh, led me right into a, a capability that helped me navigate today's uncertain times. And what better time it is to have this conversation right now where all over the world there's a lot going on, not only pleasant stuff, and we need to cope with it, 
And so it started with that kind of experience with a, uh, like some trauma, some, some, some non-optimal experience in my childhood, in my teens. And then I, I, I thought I'd, I'd take a, a standard career and I go into corporate and I experienced some of my corporate, I guess, episodes led me to realize that my rebel nature doesn't fit so well. <laughs> or at least I wanted to, I guess, optimize some of the things too radically. And I reoriented and I went, uh, dove into the startup world. I helped with some startups. I uh, launched some myself. Some of them were successful, some of them weren't. And at some point I decided uh, after some requests to bridge between startups and corporates and teach business leaders in this time, in these uncertain times, what they require to thrive in this economy. That is not like the past economy, like the industrial age economy, very predictable, uh, very planable, resource-based. Instead, to navigate with a skill I call adaptability intelligence, and by that have kind of like a master skill to do, to make better decisions, and to innovate better, and by that to build stronger businesses. That's my main occupation. And I do some coaching, uh, I travel a lot, and uh, that's a little bit about myself, background. You know, these things can be long or short, but just so you get an idea. Thank you so much for sharing. Yes, so I think we have lots of things in common, and therefore we might end up over and over with each other in different countries and on different continents, in fact. So I would like to start and dive into the topic oh, you've just mentioned it. And before we will go into the adaptable intelligence, I would like to discuss the first thing, what I shared also in the bio about you being digital native for everybody who is basically just thinking, okay, yes, we have all the generations, the YZ and uh, millennials, etc. But what would you say is a digital native and how does it pay into the topic of yeah, basically face this uncertain time and the digital development that is right now skyrocketing completely from my point of view? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, every younger generation is by nature more open, more often more radical, challenges the status quo. So it's not in the millennial generation, in the digital generation, it is not the age per se that makes us, that makes them, uh, whatever perspective you look from, different. It's also not something that makes us or them more skilled. What I believe is this, certain things come more natural, certain interaction with technology come more natural if you've done it all along, if you've done, done it from a, a young age. So that's digital native in its purest form. We just happened to be born into an age where analog is no longer the default methodology of how the world works, but digital is. And so the speediness of it all and the compilation of different complexities comes more natural. So we, from an early age, had to respond to it and therefore build more capability than people that were born earlier were first trained and educated and experienced the world as analog and then suddenly everything shifted it's simply a capability standpoint um, and at the same time a lot of people in older ages can decide to become it's a learnable st skill can decide to become 
basically digital native. They can become millennial, if you want to say that like that. Not because they are by default the, the, the definition ready type, but because their mindset is more ready and open than some mindsets that are much younger, but follow more the old traditional industrial age thinking, right? Mm -hmm. The main point that I want to make here is actually learnability is the main aspect and, and the readiness and the willingness to learn and to keep being curious and to change your mindsets around things is the number one skill that we need in this economy, in this age, moving forward. There's no more important skill, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So this pays basically in the topic of the growth mindset uh, versus the fixed mindset where you literally look at things, you see that things are changing and therefore you're curious to adapt new things. And this leads me straight away to the next topic about just to clarify a few things that we understand and that we are all on the same page is what do you mean? And I just want to make sure that I say it correctly, adaptive intelligence. Would you mind to share with us your phrase or how you define this kind of combination when it comes to the context of this current business and this current economic development around the world? Yeah, yeah. Amazing question. Also, it excites me, as you can probably see. Um, <laughs> what a, a fundamental thing we need to understand and acknowledge before I answer the question is that a beautiful thing about humans is that our brain is adaptable. It, we have neuroplasticity built into our operating system and into our hardware. And this is, uh, imagine a computer that builds more capacity as it needs, right? And not only physical capacity for data, but also performance. And it erases and it builds new depending on what requirements approach. This is our brain. So what I want to say is, by default, we are machines that are made to adapt. We aren't people that are made to have a fixed mindset. However, evolution from an evolutionary standpoint, our brain has understood that if we can keep some form of fixed continuity, we're going to conserve energy. And conserving energy is what every organism is trying to do because to, to, to acquire energy, to get energy is costly. It costs energy and it costs, you know, exposing yourself to danger, et cetera, et cetera. And if you understand this dynamic between those two capabilities or those two states, um, it's much easier to then wrap your head around uh, what we can do with it, right? And here we go. So this is the fundamental thing I wanted to kind of establish. In our present day, a lot of mindsets and the economy as a whole is still operating primarily on a industrial age thinking. And the industrial age thinking, including leadership, including education, and including the framework of how much can shift and change, is based entirely around the idea of IQ, of intelligence, of the um, intelligence quotient, right? That was developed early in the 21st century, sorry, 20th century. And um, it basically, the more you have, the better you are, right? The, 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 the more intelligence IQ you have, the smarter you are, the more ready you are for the workforce, for the challenge, for whatever. The issue with that is 
it's a phenomenal quotient. It's a phenomenal measuring tool for comparing different people. And it's fairly dynamic too. It is not fixed by default because it's always a comparison. Your IQ is always compared to your age group as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a higher IQ compared to your age group means if you have a higher IQ, then uh, that means, let's say than 100, that means that you have a higher IQ than your average age group. So it is a dynamic tool. The problem with it is we have a lot of people that go very religiously by that and build their entire lives around it. And the problem is if you get fixed on that and IQ is the only measuring tool for capability and then something externally changes and you've worked all your life to be an expert at this skill or this trajectory and something throws you off that path or disrupts this trajectory that you have, you suddenly have zero skills. <laughs> yeah. And that's the big problem that we're facing in the economy. And a lot of leaders are facing these days because we're so fixed and we're so expert in what we do, but we're usually not experts outside of that. And you can imagine it like, um, like the spectrum of light, you know, the spectrum of light waves mm -hmm. goes from very short waves. Those are like gamma waves, Röntgen waves that they use in medicine all the way up to television waves that are very long. So information gets transmitted on either short waves or in long waves and anything in between. And it's a huge spectrum. And the human eye, the, the, the part that our eye senses are receiving, it's the very, very small band on that spectrum. So the light we see, the capability of speaking, seeing this microphone and speaking into it, the capability to see you is the spectrum on the entire spectrum of light waves that is visible light. So this very tiny band, it's not very large, is everything we see with our sense organs in terms of visibility. And in the same way, I wanna make an analogy of what IQ is. Mm -hmm. IQ is only a part of the spectrum of our, our range of capabilities in order to na navigate the world. But we've religiously put everything around that small band in the same way that we believe on every, in everyday life that everything we see is everything. When the truth is, if we put on night vision infrared goggles, we see more because we suddenly see at night, right? And where it was dark, we suddenly see more. So we enlarge our spectrum. Or if we use uh, gamma rays, we can look into other spectrums of the experience which we which our our eye sense organs cannot and suddenly reality extends so if we think about it hard and if we know biology we know there's more than what we can see but we don't appreciate that on on an everyday basis and that's a huge trap and so to summarize or to to kind of bring it back to to your question aq is just another strip on that spectrum it allows you to deal with problems that are outside of this narrow day-to-day -day fixed trajectory. And it allows you to gain more capabilities, especially those capabilities you need in times where things aren't going the way you anticipated. So you made a five-year plan and then after two years, a lot changes and you suddenly have to have to come up with new solutions, new decisions. Adaptability intelligence helps you do that where intelligence helps you to make better decisions in a 
plan trajectory? Were you an expert? Does that bring it back to your question? Yes, absolutely. So I, I love the example and I talk about it like, you know, you have a software in your brain. You can literally exchange the hardware. You can literally do that. So you can level up everything what you have in your brain and you can also run some updates. And this is what you're just sharing as well. Basically run some updates for your software in your brain. So I would, mm -hmm. uh, would love to go with you now a little bit deeper. So on a high level, I, it's basically one layer more or maybe basically a different aspect or basically invitation of take another perspective about how we approach things. So IQ, of course, one part very old, very established. And like you've just mentioned, sometimes even blocking us to see things differently that require any kind of new ways of being approached, especially when it comes now to what we have at the moment. I think this is the best example of the global pandemic. Nobody has been in a global pandemic as far as I know. Well, I guess nobody experienced it that way, right? So we all have now to adapt in so many different levels that it is for some people maybe now easier to grasp. But I would like to go even deeper. So what does adaptive intelligence basically incorporate or re is basically based on in order to now, and this is where we want to go to, be able to adapt within this digital future? Amazing. Uh, I love the, the, the example as well. And the beauty is, you know, this crisis shows that we can adapt. You know, when people said in the past, you know, but it doesn't work here, or it doesn't work that way, or you can't do that. And then, uh, you know, this, this extreme case of a crisis or a change situation comes along, you see they can, because now suddenly they have to. Yeah, yeah, just like that. And it just proves that we can adapt. It's never about can we, it's, it's always about do we want to, right? Do we see it as important enough? Is it priority enough? And now it has, without our consent, been made priority enough, right? The external circumstance put so much pressure on, for example, businesses um, that need to reroute to digital, for example, where physical used to be their main uh, revenue source, that now there's no choice. But as long as you still have choice, you can always put your thoughts in and say, nah, I don't think that's going to work, right? And that's when it gets really exciting because this is what you're actually asking. How do we in times where that pressure isn't on, how do we in a natural state of um, moving along uh, the timeline, let's say, how do we, despite having less pressure or not a lethal pressure, how do we choose to and bring up the resources to change deliberately, right? And adapt. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel there's a number of, or I, I, I I want to approach it from a neuroscientific standpoint. And I want to show what I have learned myself from experts in the field about how we can change our thoughts, change our, the way we look at change as a, as a, as a intruder, as an attacker, and then change those thoughts and replace them with better thoughts. It's a, it's a, it's a five-step process and it's, it's actually fairly simple. I love processes. <laughs> I was going to say, you love, her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you love <it's> processes. Like... <laughs> I do. So please share it with us. Like... 
The interesting thing is, um, if people don't have to, they, they barely ever will, right? And if you, if you see what happens when people are confronted with a situation they didn't anticipate and that uh, damages them or hurts them or they feel attacked, what they usually do is they do one or two things. They either do more of the same or they do less of the same. But they don't change perspective, change the plan, and try out something new. More of the same means overreacting, often with anger, often with blame or shame. And this is what you see leaders do, and that's when it gets really damaging. And I work with big corporations. There's some wonderful brands that the world over, they are known. And I know of people that work there and that report that their manager is violent, has very little understanding of navigating the current situation. No, I'm not even talking about this situation, any current situation that isn't following the trajectory. And then the question really becomes, are they supposed to be a leader? And we have a whole nother conversation about uh, how do you promote leaders, right? So that's overreaction. I just was talking about exactly this topic about being good in one topic and be a leader and having leadership skills is a completely different story. But yes, I think this is another whole new podcast, Alex. Right. And there's an interesting <laughs> book. It's called The Peter Principle. Maybe you know it. I recommend it. It's a, it's a fun read and it, it really doubles down on that point. But so if we take aside overreaction or doing more of the same, which clearly isn't working anymore because the world has moved on, reality has moved on, but the old trajectory, they just try to hold on to their old ways and it doesn't mm. work, right? Overreaction. The alternative is paralysis, paralysis, right? Uh, freezing, not knowing what to do, again, not being a leader. Leaders are leaders because they can lead into the future. That's the whole point, right? And that's why it becomes so important in times where change is the norm, where change is the only thing that's the constant. That's why we need leaders that have the capability that when a, an intrusion, when an irritation comes, they go, okay, what options do I have? Let's try out this, let's try out that. But they stay in an option-oriented mindset, right? There's enough businesses that have failed. There's enough businesses right now that are under scrutiny where people say, look, you've not done your homework and now you're paying the price, right? Laying off uh, a lot of people, laying off leaders and uh, on a large scale. And mm. in a way, um, hurting the economy simply because of the failure to anticipate change or to deal with change, right? So again, this is establishing the, the context. And so why don't we do more of that? When we know that this is the solution to dealing with this situation, with this economy, with this fast-moving global space that we're trying to optimize and, and do business in and thrive in, why don't we do more of why don't we develop more capability to change? Why don't we include this into our leadership development programs? Why don't we include this into education, children's education, fundamentally? Why is algebra more important than this? That's my question. And the answer, one of the answer, answers is, and now we're going back from school to adult life, it's difficult. It is very difficult to do that work because it's internal work. It isn't, oh, that guy didn't do his job or that outside circumstance, I just couldn't see it. No, it's if other people can see it 
And if other people can see it, then you can develop the capabilities to see it too. So it's full responsibility, right? The other reason why we don't do more of it is it's simply unsexy, right? It's always Sometimes nice painful. to build a, sh right? You can build shiny, cool projects uh, that 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 look amazing and and boost your brand image. Those are sexy, and those are usually facades of the real issues. But working on yourself, nobody sees all the work that you put in. Nobody sees what it takes for an actual good leader to become an amazing leader. It takes sweat and tears and long work and confusion and and struggle. And, and resistance from the outside. It takes so, so, so much, right? So that's why we don't do much of it. And to bring this point home, I guess the very first step of those five steps really is representative of that. It's not sexy. And that is the first one, the first fundamental point on the road to, uh, to achieving and acquiring adaptability intelligence is self-examination. And self-examination knowing yourself is not a very attractive thing. You know, a lot of leaders, uh, especially business leaders, they frown upon it. You know, journaling, who cares? You know, it's what a pussy, you know, what a weak person, right? And there's a lot of, um, this is still going on in uh, the business world a lot. This, you know, a strong leader has to do this or that and has to, you know, a strong leader doesn't have to think or doesn't have to reflect. No, no, that's the fundament. You need to know who you want to be and who you don't want to be in the situation when it gets tough. And you need to know that before, because you don't have the time when it gets really tough to think, because that's when the emotions come up. And that's why I'm, uh, why, why I'm digging a lot in the neuroscience, because really what it comes down to is something the, that neuroscientists call your distress tolerance. It's basically the threshold that you're capable of withstanding irritation. You know, when you're worried, when you're confused of, of, of stress for outside, outside stressors, when you have to face uncertainty and you're responsible for making a decision, but you simply don't know what decision, decision to make because it's a new scenario, that's when you get out of your comfort zone and things start getting really tough. And that's why we have leaders. That is the responsibility of leaders, right? Mm -hmm. And without self-examination, you don't know who to be in that moment and what, what values to base your reactions on. And that's why we have these leaders that we mentioned a minute ago um, that, that get violent and aggressive and, uh, and blame, you know, blame other people. So self-examination is the first step. Without that as a foundation, we have more fluctuation in the emotional state of a person that's facing change. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. You can prove that neuroscientifically. And so if we, if we assume that as a foundational point that we can achieve, it's, it really comes down to investing the time to build yourself to do that. Right? So that's the first point. The second one, let's go, to the, let's go through it fairly quickly because I want to make sure that I'm not just, you know, theorizing here and throwing a lot of uh, theory at you. But make, make sure when you hear this, all of the people listening, make sure that you... Think about your context and where you're guilty of this. And we're all guilty of this in your own life. The second one is when change has hit, let's say something has, you know, hit you that you didn't expect. You have your process and you didn't expect it. And it's already here. You know, you're beyond the stage where you can be like, oh, what, what would I do? Who would I be? 
when it gets tough. No, no, no. It's already here. How do you get out of it? How do you change your emotional state? You're affected right now. You're stressed. You're sweating. You're anxious. How do you get out of this? Right? Because you know you make better decisions, scientifically proven. You know you make better decisions in a calmer state. So the logical thing to do is to get out of it as quick as possible, quickly as possible. Now, most people are not able to do that. Most people are not able to tell themselves, I'm observing myself. I'm right now being stressed. I'm not being the nicest boss. I'm not being the nicest partner. The question is, how can you? And, and state change is something that fascinates me a lot. State change has to do a lot with anchoring and with understanding neuroscience and with observing what state you are in and then choosing different thoughts. So for example, what I do, I have morning questions. Every morning I write down the answers to three questions and I anchor a feeling. So for example, I'd say to myself this morning, um, today I wanna to feel alive. I wanna feel alive. You know, what does alive, you can feel alive or you can feel enthusiastic, right? So you have a reference point. And I say that to have an anchor and then throughout the day, without question, most of the days, without question, some external thing will disrupt my mood, right? Maybe there's a loud noise. Maybe there's a, a person that's, that has draining energy. Maybe there's an offender. Maybe there's all kinds of things. And they will inevitably pull down my energy, right? And maybe I'm guilty of that too for other people. But the point is I have my anchor. And if I know how to get back to my anchor, I have an easier way to get back to where I want to be compared to the energy that people, that somebody or some situation dragged me into, right? And I know myself, and I, I'm pretty sure everybody listening can, can relate to this, can remember a situation where they kept circling in that negative feeling that some external circumstance caused them and they couldn't get out of it. But in order to make better decision, in order to be capable of adapting and not being stuck in your response, reactiveness, you need to have the capability of state change. Right. So now we've, we've learned about number two. So self-examination, state change. Third, one factor of this crazy world being so, um, putting so much pressure on us, you know, we all want to be in an effortless state. All of us want to experience a day of flow where everything goes the way we want it. And we learn and we grow and we make money and you know, all of these things. Of course, you could probably even think of a person that seemingly has that every day. All of you, I have no doubt, can think of a person that navigates life and it always looks like they're, you know, it's just all going easy and flowing, right? And to me, I have one specifically in mind. And I mention this person a lot, Bruce Lee. <laughs> I, I love this guy. So he's a, he's a big um, role model. And one of the reasons is not the fact that everywhere he he was filmed and on stage and, and, and presented to the public, he was in that state, but because I was curious why. And the reason why is exactly what I'm trying to teach here, what I'm trying to share here, which is if you see pictures of this guy, feel free to Google Bruce Lee and image, image search. And you always see these pictures of him kind of just ready to fight somebody. Mm -hmm. You look him in the eye and it's this, it's this almost like enthusiasm, this, Come on, bring it on. Almost joy of what, what's next. And this is a fundamental thing that I want to point out is there's a difference between what IQ can do, which is preparing because you have a ton of resources, 
whether it's a ton of money or a ton of experience, or the ability to be ready, whatever comes your way, to be less distressed, to increase your distress tolerance, that's the neuroscientific term, to many things coming your way. And that's AQ. And that's something Bruce Lee can do. And that's what a lot of people that seemingly navigate the world effortlessly do. Keep an eye out for that. I encourage you. But back to the point number three on the list. One reason why that gets difficult is because there's just an overload of information. And therefore, an overload of us having to deal with that information and trying to still make life productive, enjoyable, etc. Right? And uh, there's a study that was made between uh, 2000, uh, sorry, 1985 and 2011. There was a threefold increase, 300% increase in the information our brain processes on a daily basis. So there's scientific proof again of the degree of what our brains have to deal with these days and make decisions upon, uh, make decisions mm. on compared to 1985. So how do we go about it? How do we make sure we're still operating on a high performance level and on a joyful level that let's not forget about it. Despite the fact that information overload has increased. Well, the simple answer is it almost sounds too simple. Simplify things. And so my third recommendation is uh, macro decisions. A lot of leaders that um, let's say create a suboptimal experience, they are micromanagers. Right? So they're trying to stay in, on top of and control every micro decision. I'm sure almost everybody here on, on this, on this uh, who's watching this has been, and I'm sure you have, Sylvie, uh, been a follower of a leader that's a micromanager. We all know it doesn't work in a world where for every one email we get out of our inbox, three new ones come in. It doesn't work to micromanage. The only way to deal with it is to make smart rules to simplify our life and by that to be more powerful because we have more mental capacity, more cognitive capacity. So think about in your life, what can you do to make macro decisions? One macro decision of mine is I don't have any meetings before 10. It's simple. Why? Because if I get a request to meet at 830, it's the simple answer. No. Right. Because then otherwise, if I, if I don't have that macro rule, what happens is on a, on a Tuesday, somebody requests eight 30 on a Wednesday, somebody requests, you know, nine, 10. I know that I can be a better performer at my job. If I spent the first hours of the day on me getting ready to my best state and then start in performance, right. Performing, delivering. All right. So the first hours of my day are for me. And then I get into my, my meetings after 10 in optimal state. If I jeopardize this, I'm not going to be as good as I could. Therefore, I have a macro rule because otherwise I'd be stuck in micro decisions for every day or every week to try to say yes or no, depending on how I feel on that given day. And instead, I, I just say simple. Mm -hmm. After 10, go ahead, book something in my calendar. No problem. Before that, no. Another one, just to give you another example, to start thinking about your own context is, uh, one that I, that I got gifted, one macro decision that I got gifted by my friend Skip is no movement, sorry, no decision before movement. So again, neuroscience says or gives us um, this, this uh, proof that we're better decision makers if we have exercise. 
Yes. Why would I not take advantage of this if I'm trying to be, you know, a good business leader, a, a good decision maker, etc.? Simple macro rule. I will not make a decision before I work out. Simple. So think about these in your own context. There's, 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 you know, there's not enough time to to go um, into this in 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 more detail. But I want to I want to finish the list and just give you two more hints here. The fourth one. Once you've established that. Um, let's say staircase of of uh, going from from one to three. Number four is mindful creative destruction. What I mean by that is, in you know anybody who's uh, done some theory of economics knows of creative destruction and how uh, to build something new you have to destroy something old, right? Or you could say you know on a volcanic uh, ground come up new plants just kind of you know um it's an accepted theory in, in the economy so you you have to tear something down to build something new however a lot of people go about this in a very radical way and they offend people and they um they go so hard that people build resistance and then you can neither achieve your goal of moving along developing growing and just building the future instead you might even build more resistance, more walls are put up. Uh, it takes even longer to, to build the future. So that's why I put in this, this uh, mindfulness aspect here. So you want to start asking yourself, what things can I change in my current way of navigating the world, of building my life, of relating to this person uh, to be better? But do it step by step. Do it with baby steps. Don't don't go from zero exercise to like an hour and a half walk uh, or run, right? How likely is it that you're gonna, gonna succeed with this? You know, start with a five minute run and then do 25 minutes walk. And then tomorrow you do a 10 minute run and you build slowly. So be mindful of what will be sustainable, right? And in the work context, same thing. Um, think about your own context, but this is important. And then finally, we're getting to number five now. Finally, finally, after building all of these as a foundation, that's when you get to what people often refer to when they say innovation management, which is no different than, you know, lateral thinking, thinking outside the box, creating, creating new business models. So creating new trajectories, uh, walking into the future with better systems, better products. They come after all of this other work, the unsexy work, you know, that, we, that we've just built ourselves to now. And this is point number five. Most leaders will see a disruption and then they will build the facade by only supposedly doing lateral thinking, building something like a fancy innovation hub or bringing in a new um, role in the company and being very proud of it. It's okay, but if you haven't done the four steps beforehand, there's a high likelihood that, that it won't be sustained and that you're reactions your reactivity that's actually inside of you because you might have not built adaptability intelligence really from the ground up it will come back up when times get tough so that's what i wanted to share it's a bit of a long one but now you have the entire spectrum of, of what you need thank you so so much for sharing i love them all in fact every one of them makes totally sense and i think is absolutely applicable like you said and depending on where you are at the moment how can you bring this into your own context how can you apply it in order to start to make any kind of change or any kind of altering 
because many, many people are reacting with those resistance when you just use the word change, because this might cause, and I would invite everybody to pay attention towards how are you triggered when you are mindful about that, how words trigger you, because they are very powerful. So depending on how you feel about this or the other way, use yourself in a way that you can prime yourself. And I think this is what you shared at the beginning when you set a tone for the day, you basically prime yourself on the anchor. And I do it, by the way, every single day as well. I set my intention for the day. So exactly like, and this is so amazing to see. I invite everybody to try it out. It's so amazing to see when you prime this in your unconscious part of your brain and you always kind of start to see and to think and to decide on to come back to exactly the state you want to be. So no matter what is going around you, you are basically kind of like the eye in the whole tornado, if that makes sense. And this is what I love about exactly this point, that no matter what is happening around, and right now lots and lots of things are happening, lots of things we have to face. And before we will wrap up, Alex, if you don't mind, one last question. Um, so sure. if someone is right now, uh, let's say they have now all four the five points and someone wants to now get ready and adapt as a business leader for the digital future what would be number one what you could share with someone to make sure that the whole workforce that all the leaders and the people are kind of buying the buy-in for those five steps mm -hmm. uh okay very good question because most people the transition is the most important part right the uh the theory you know, if you have, if you've just taken some notes, the theory, uh, most people get, right? But how do you get started and then get the first traction with this, right? And I advise this, look, the most important point is the acknowledging, acknowledgement of the fact that the work starts here, right? So taking responsibility and saying a great leader doesn't try to find the change outside. They build the change and that's how they build trust in the people around them because these people see that they walk their talk. Mm. You know, anything visible comes from the person changing. And then they, these people see and they resonate with it and they build trust and they start a following and then it's the movement. Otherwise, it's very likely that you'll impose and that people cause resistance. And then it's not only slower, it's the exact opposite. Mm. And that's why a lot of people, uh, companies have, um, have struggled, right? So it is the tough one. It is the essential one. The work that revolves around acknowledging that the work starts with you. So what I invite you to do is take out a piece of paper and then for, you can rewatch this, I'm sure, uh, for every one of the five points, write down five examples in your own life, how you can, how you observe yourself right now and how you can adapt to be a better version of yourself. And this can be done in, you can do this in 25 minutes. There's no excuse why, why anybody could not do this from a, from a, from a uh, jobless person to the CEO of a large company. Nobody has an excuse to build an essential skill in 25 minutes, start building the skill in 25 minutes. There's no excuse. You can even do it in a taxi or on a train or on a plane or wherever. <laughs> Write down five questions. As I said, self-examination is point one. It might not be the most interesting or fascinating thing in the world to do, but it's the foundation. Five points 
from your own life to make it applicable to you rather than some, some abstract um, universal uh, examples. And then simply observe, put the paper down, put it somewhere visible where you can see it. You know, it might be private. So uh, maybe put it on your work desk or in a, in, a, in a drawer or something or at home. But then just in the next days and weeks, start observing. Start observing the current you or previous you and the potential future you. And then just see what happens. It's surprising how much can happen if you just observe and if you do that essential work of uh, writing down what you, what you observe and what you, where you potentially want to go. And you don't have to make any commitments yet of what better thing you need to do or something. Just options, just ideas, right? And it's just an ideation session. It's easy. There's no excuse. So I invite you to do that and see what comes out of it. Thank you so, so much for sharing. This is, I, I, tru I truly believe, especially in current times, that we all can face the fact that anything what we have been taught, what we have uh, been kind of aware of, is going to change radically month by month, year by year. And it's going to happen even faster after this whole mm -hmm. development. And so um, kind of being this, I'm stuck or I am where I am is basically not a solution for none of us from my point of view. So just really taking the self-responsibility and going through those five steps, for example, checking in with yourself on a regular basis and leading by example is a crucial. And before we say goodbye, Alex, thank you so much for sharing all the valuable content. I love it all. What was your biggest win within your entrepreneurial journey? You shared at the beginning you were a corporate rebel, so therefore a startup creator. And, and overall, what was your biggest win? This is the last question what I ask each and every single guest here. What would you say from your point of view was the biggest win within your entrepreneurial journey? You know, it's interesting, and this is very, uh, this is an extremely good question. You know, making good questions for programs like this is, is tough, and I want to acknowledge you for that. So I love the question. I want to say it's hard to pick because I throw myself into, into things, and I, even though it's tough sometimes, I feel because I do that, a lot of these moments come out of it. A lot of these progress moments come out of it. I've set myself a goal of developing amazing leadership transformation experiences, right? And there's a, a bunch of ways that I do that. And for me, it was fascinating to see what a huge need this is. It's a massive need in this world, right? So even though we are aware that all of us are aware that, you know, we need to invest in the future of water, you know, world hunger, diseases, energy. There's a lot of crises going on that we are solving and that people can invest time in solving and invest their life or lives into solving. And I noticed that that was my mission. My mission is to develop these transformation experiences to build up better leaders. And as a result, to have a higher lever, right? Because if you can transform a leader into a better leader, that leader again will influence hundreds, thousands of people, right? And that's a massive lever. That's a massive influence on the way we built the future. And when I realized 
not only the power, but the capability of doing that. And the fact that these transformation stories ended or transformed or turned into success stories. That's why I felt, wow, I'm aligned with the mission and I'm loving the mission and the mission is working and I'm giving my little contribution to, you know, maybe romantically speaking a little bit, a better world. Um, yeah, that's just, just enforced me or enforced my will to go there, invest, you know, the rest of my life even stronger into it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a huge honor as well, because it's, again, it's not easy, but it's, you know, none of the missions that people set themselves usually uh, are very, are very easy. So it doesn't have to be. And whether you go to Mars or whether you clean up the ocean or, you know, whatever it is that people put as, as amazing visions for me, the resonance, the click of, uh, you could say the Ikigai, right? The click of what I'm bringing to the world, what matters in the world, what I'm loving. That's when uh, I got real power and uh, found, found real drive. So that's, that's one of those moments. I love it. So it's kind of the ripple effect that uh, gives you the life in doing what you're doing and gives you the fire for your mission. Thank you yes. so, so much uh, for being here, for sharing all your gifts. I Such can't an honor. Wait, Thank you. wait to hear more from you and to see more from you. Uh, in fact, tonight. <laughs> so thank you, <laughs> yeah. thank you so so much for You'll being here. You'll be coming here. to the workshop. Yes, amazing. I'm looking forward. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for so much for your precious time and energy. And yes, of course, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? I will share all this in the comments below and of course in the show notes. Perfect. I love it. Thank you for the amazing questions. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me here, and I'll see you at the workshop tonight. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this was insightful, informative, or inspiring. I would love to hear your number one takeaway. Come on over to winx.today and share it in the comments below. You can also provide any kind of question around remote work solutions, business and leadership growth, as well as holistic HR topics. I look forward to providing A to your queue. Stay tuned, winner, and don't forget, we can win X today.